1: Will Steven Stamkos be ready for Game 1 of the Stanley Cup playoffs? And how will the Lightning fare against the New Jersey Devils, who are 3-0 against the Bolts this season? And the Rays break their 8-game losing streak with a 5-4 win in snowy Chicago, but not without some late-inning drama from Alex Colomay. And we'll begin our countdown to the NFL draft with interviews from some college players over the next few weeks. Today, we chat with former East Lake High and Michigan offensive lineman Mason Cole. All that and more on this Tuesday edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. And before we get into today's podcast, let me tell you about a special offer from Audible.com. Sign up now and get a free 30 day trial membership. That's just a $15 value for you. And as a listener to this show, you'll get a free audiobook. Just go to audibletrial.com. That's A U D I B L E Trial.com slash sportsday. To take advantage of the deal, that's audibletrial.com/sportsday for a free 30-day trial membership and a free audiobook. Well, uh, Stephen Stamkos, as you know, missed the final three games of the regular season and four of the final seven with that lower body injury, and he returned to practice at his usual spot on at center uh, in that top line with J.T. Miller and Nikita Kucherov, and he was out there. On uh, Monday for the entire hour-and-a-half session, he wore a regular jersey. There was uh, no limitations on him at all. And now we, you know, pretty much expect him, I guess, to be available for the playoff opener on Thursday at Amalie Arena against the Devils. So it's been a while for Stamkos to be on the ice, and he said it felt pretty good.
2: Yeah, it felt, uh, felt nice to be back out on the ice. Uh, so... Definitely a, a step in the right direction. Felt uh, felt pretty good, you know, all things considering. So uh, it was uh, nice to, to be out there with the guys, and you know, you know, this is the the fun the fun time of the year it starts right right now. So uh, it, it was it was good. I think they did a smart thing, uh, Steve. You know, sitting
1: him out those three games, and as it turns out, you know, they still managed to win the division and and have home ice and all of that even without Stamkos playing. And, and certainly they have him healthy. But, um, you know, the thing about it is this time of year and for what he's been through and whatever he's suffering with now with that lower body, you're just not going to be 100% according to Stamkos.
2: Listen, my body will never be 100% regardless going through the stuff that I've been through. So there's no no point in asking about percentages. And the stuff he's talking about, well, aside
1: from this lower body injury, How about the torn lateral meniscus in his right knee that kept him out of most of 2016 and 2017? That blood clot that he had sidelined him during the 2016 (laughs) Stanley Cup playoffs. You had the broken tibia that he had just 37 games he played in 13 and 14. I mean, this is a guy whose body has been put through an awful lot, and I think it's been remarkable that he's been able to uh, be as durable as he has been this year. And I thought he got better and better. Now, hopefully this thing doesn't, you know, Rise its ugly head again sometime during the postseason um, Stamp Coast, however, has been down this road before with the playoffs and he knows how important it was for the Lightning to get home ice advantage throughout the postseason
2: Well, I mean we are happy that we accomplished the goal of ours that we set you know about a month ago to, to win the division and, and we knew if we won our division you're probably going to win the conference so um, you know, we, we were uh, proud of that. We set that goal out. Um, you know, it as it was unbelievable as Boston's played, you know, the last three months to be able to hold them off, ultimately at the end, um, was was satisfying. But like I said before, it, uh, all that matters is, is really the, the, the home ice. So um, we, we have a lot of work to do to to have that even come into play. So um, we're, we're not focused on that. It's done and over with now, and we'll focus on Jersey. Pretty interesting, Steve. You said this before
1: the podcast. Uh, the part of that quote that that caught your attention and now mine is that they set a goal about a month ago.
3: Yeah, only a month ago that they set that goal to win the division and thus the conference, not the beginning of the season. Uh, now, you wonder if the beginning of the season was uh, just about, playing better than they did last year or getting a better start than last year, or was their goal at the beginning of the season more like winning a cup, which is what everyone expected they were capable of. But after missing the playoffs last year, was their, was their goals that lofty, which is great if it was, but that's what, you you know, that would be my question. If you only set that goal, you know, a, a month ago, that that wasn't a goal at the beginning of the year. And, and, you know the hockey players, and you know you heard it in that bite, and you'll hear more players coming up here. That you know winning the conference, winning the division is great, but it's really about the playoffs. And and home ice is nice, but it doesn't guarantee anything. So you know maybe that's not the way they think as as a goal. It's more about you know getting ready for the playoffs. But it was just interesting to me.
1: Yeah, and I think they they probably realized that that was realistic as far as you know getting home ice and all that recently, about a month ago, and and so that's why they said it. But I think every team goes into the year going. Let's, let's get into the postseason, and then, and then anything can happen. And your ultimate goal is always to win a championship, no matter what sport, in this case, the Stanley Cup. But, um, yeah, pretty interesting that about a month ago they thought, okay, this is attainable. And, of course, it took them until the last day with Florida beating uh, winning at Boston on Sunday night to actually clinch it for them. Here's what John Cooper, who's no stranger to the playoffs himself, uh, said about getting the conference championship and how different this feels than a year ago.
0: Well you' guys's just going to be happy for the guys uh, this wasn't a one game thing this is an 82 game grind and it came down to game 82 uh, but you know to, to have a 19 point uh, game from last year uh, to be you know that hollow empty feeling we had last year at this time compared to how we're feeling now um, the guys regrouped over the summer, started training camp, and uh, so far it's paid off.
1: I mean, it's a long road when you get back to, you know, at the beginning of everything and what how they set their goals uh, to have the feeling they have now versus what it was a year ago. But, you know, we, we talk a lot about home ice and, and you know, where, where it comes into play. It's not just about, you know, starting the series at home or winning every home game. John Cooper broke it down this way.
0: People get confused with home ice saying you got to win all your home games. Yeah, it'd be great to win all your home games, but it really doesn't happen that way. And it's rare that that series, the home team wins every single game. It, it has happened, but it's not the norm. So you have to win on the road. That's the bottom line. And you know, would we love to win all our home games? For sure. That would guarantee us you're winning the first round. But what, what home ice is, is just it's game seven. That's what it is. And having that luxury, having it at home. Is that a guarantee you're going to win that one? It isn't. But I'd rather play it at home than on the road. But having home ice, that could be gone in game one. And we've been in a series where we've lost the, the first game at home. And we've lost the series and we've come back home series. series. Uh, so, as I said, the, the home ice is... It's good in the sense that you get to start the playoffs at home. Uh, it's good in the sense that you get a game seven if there is one. But by no means, I mean, you're going to win the series.
1: I'm with Cooper. I, I mean, and I, I would say, you know, while you say it's good to start the, the series at home, I suppose that's true if you win. I've always, we talked about this the other night, man. I think you're playing with house money if you're on the road, you know, because if you lose, well, we're going home. We could even the series. And if you win, you're playing with house money. And, and there's just this deflating feeling. For the home team because there's so much hype and so much expectation when you're opening a series. On well, your that's I especially
3: spe- true when you're facing the number one seed overall in your conference, and that presumably then you're the eighth seed. You're the last seed in your conference.
1: You really are playing right. with house
3: money at that point for the first two games.
4: Go out that's there late exact. on the
3: line, and your goal is to win one. You're not even trying to win both. I mean, it would no. be nice if you did, and it's happened, but you steal one, you're in great shape.
1: Yeah, you still won and you take that that so called advantage away unless you get to a game seven and sometimes it doesn't even have to go that many games. Sometimes the game seven number shows up if you're able to close it out. So um you know, we'll we'll see how it plays out. You certainly rather have it than not, and that's why it's it's so important. So the Lightning have some guys with playoff experience, even though it might not be with the Lightning, like former Ranger Ryan McDonough, who's also knows what it's like to play in the postseason and know how important it is to get here.
3: It's an exciting time. I mean, you've worked all season. And, uh, you know, we're obviously hockey players, hockey teams. You live in the in the present uh, past. And, and, you know, for us, we didn't finish on a great note, losing a tough game on the road. But in the grand scheme of things, we've set ourselves up for a good opportunity here. And, and uh, like we said, we made the playoffs. and We've got home ice here in the first round. And, um, you know, that's what you've got to look forward to and, and be confident in that. And... Um, Take it one day at a time. Here we had a lot of work in practice. Tomorrow we'll continue the process of looking at the Devils and and how we can try and be successful against them and what we need to do. And, and that's how you approach it. Every day is another opportunity to, to get better and, and uh, you know one step closer to where you want to be.
1: We'll hear from a couple of rookies here in just a minute, Steve. But I wanted to ask you. You know when when they made when Steve Eiserman made this deal with the New York Rangers for McDonough, um, that extra defenseman that, that they felt they needed. Isn't it about the postseason? Isn't this exactly – this will probably come into play more now even than it did, you know, since they since they picked him up, if that makes sense.
3: Well, yeah, and I think, you know, I think that's why they signed Dan Girardi and, and Chris mm-hmm. Kunitz going into the season, both with extensive playoff experience. Kunitz has four Stanley Cup rings. Um, you know, his name's on the cup four times. So that's McDonough amazing. to another guy who's gone deep in the playoffs, including playing, you know, in a Stanley Cup final. Um, you know, those experience. It, it, it's you know, he's a good player and, and definitely inc- improves your blue line. But, you know, that, exp- that playoff experience, they've added a lot of vets on this team with that.
1: They have, and um, it's good that they have that experience both with guys that are new to this team and also uh, the guys that have been, you know, with the Lightning in the postseason before. But they leaned heavily on a lot of their rookies this year and probably none better, maybe in the NHL, than Braden Point, who will be making his first postseason appearance.
2: Yeah, super excited. Um, like you said, I've never done it before, so um, don't know really what to expect, but uh, just going to try to work hard and try to play my game, same game I've playing all year. Um, you know, guys say it's a new a different game in the playoffs, so um, you know, hopefully feel it out in the first first couple shifts, first period, and then um, just try to play.
1: Well, his game has been so exceptional um, all over the ice and the speed that he brings to their team. Another rookie, Yanni Gord, while he hasn't Played in the NHL postseason. He's no stranger to postseason hockey. They did a lot of that back in Syracuse.
4: Yeah, well, I think uh, it's just uh, playoff hockey uh, anywhere. It's, it's just like a, a next level. And I think uh, the playoff we had, the run what we had last year with Syracuse just going to help me, uh, help me like getting into this game with confidence and uh, being uh, uh, like kind of bringing the same game as I have uh, during the season and, and uh, even more.
1: I think, uh, you know, this series is going to be tougher maybe than people realize. I mean, I think you kind of, you know, when these teams get in the postseason, you know, whether you're the number one seed or the eighth seed or whatever it is uh, it's the postseason anything can happen this new jersey team had the lightnings number during the year they were 3-0 and against tampa bay and i guess would you say steve that like taylor hall is probably their biggest threat i mean he had 39 goals 53 points he's he's the guy you have to begin to stop right oh,
3: he's up for mvp this year and he yeah. very well might win it i mean that team making the playoffs and and you know they traded for him from edmonton And uh, what a whale of a trade it's been. And he's been their leader and and really the reason they're making the playoffs. Um, But I want to go back to a point Yanni Gord just said. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is so under-talked about in sports, but minor league playoff experience and going through that. And Syracuse last year went on a deep run to the Calder Cup Finals. Um, mm-hmm. You know, People forget that before the runs of uh, the 14-15 and 15-16 season that guys like Andre Palat and Tyler Johnson and Nikita Kucherov yes. had all played down in Norfolk and Syracuse and gone on long playoff runs. Um, and won some championships. Absolutely. And that experience and learning how to play in the playoffs, a lot of the lightning young – this year Syracuse uh, started off horribly. They have a lot of young, a lot of rookies on their AHL team. They're in the playoffs now. They're one of the better teams in the AHL. And, you know, they're hoping for a long playoff run this year, too, that's going to set up the Lightning for future years. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even to cross over sports a little bit, you know, the Rays last year, this group of guys they have in their minor league system have gone through playoff runs at each level, including Durham last year, where they won. Um, you know, and that that's only helps you in the future, not only as far as play and experience, but also building a winning culture in that. And the lightning have been doing that or continue to do that. And, you know, when you can call up guys like Braden point and Yanni Gord and now Anthony Sorelli, um, that come up and make an impact on your team because they've, you know, Anthony Sorelli has been in two Memorial cup finals in juniors, as a matter of fact, he scored the winning goal his first year there, uh, to win the Memorial cup. So, I mean, you know, big games, big moments They're, The the stage doesn't get too big for them.
1: Yeah, and that's what you see with these young guys is is exactly that that, that it isn't uh, they're not overwhelmed by um, the NHL. Obviously, there's an adjustment period, but it, it's not something that they're in awe of. Uh, and they're productive in the minors. They come up and they're productive here right away, and that's that's been impressive. When you talk about experience, you know what about the experience Andre Vasilevsky has gotten in the postseason, having to step in for Ben Bishop? Well, now, you know he finishes the season as you know the top goaltender in terms of wins. Um, and, and here's another goaltender with New Jersey, in Keith Kincaid, who didn't take over the job until January when Corey Schneider got hurt, and this guy has played tremendous, but he has zero playoff experience. Despite, you know, like I said, a, a, he had a great save. He was 19-6-1 since he took over. So um, you never know with that hot goaltender. But uh, Keith Kincaid, his first playoff games. How does that affect him? Andre Vasilevsky has been out there before. So maybe there's an edge with uh, Vasilevsky.
3: Well, you definitely have to think there is with Vasilevsky. Not only, you know, played in Stanley Cup final games and, you know, last year played basically the entire Eastern Conference final, or two years ago, uh, against Pittsburgh and really outplayed Matt Murray in that series. Um, You know, Pittsburgh controlled the puck almost the entire series, and Vasilevsky was standing on his head and and almost won it for them. Uh, But Vasilevsky's got experience on the international stage too, leading Team Russia to many championships. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, he's been on this stage over and over and over again as far as, you know, playoff uh, the pressure of that and, and the experience of that. So you do have right. to give, you know, Vasilevsky definitely the edge over Kincaid.
1: And just his demeanor, too. I mean, you know, just just watching Vasilevsky, he it, it really, he hides it well if he's nervous at all. But he's really a very calm guy, both in the net and just emotionally. He seems to be always in control. So um, it'll be uh, it'll be great to see that matchup and uh, have a lot to do about who wins this who wins his first series with New Jersey and, and Tampa Bay, who plays the best in goal. Okay, so usually, uh, Steve, we always say that uh, the way it's, things have started this season, that the Rays wouldn't have a snowball's chance of winning in Chicago. Uh, I saw your but tweet they cer- today. <laughs> but they certainly did because, yes, because uh, did you did you see two fields? Now, both, both Chicago teams were opening uh, at the same time. uh, both, you know, of course, the, the Cubs on the north side at Wrigley Field, and they were playing the Pittsburgh Pirates, and then the Sox uh, on the south side of Chicago at Guaranteed Rate Field playing the Tampa Bay Rays, both afternoon games. Well, the, and, well, the, the Rays game was initially
3: a night game. This was a right. 7 well, o'clock moved it, Central time start. Friday they, they moved just, it based on the weather.
1: Because of the weather, it was going to be so cold. I mean, they were worried about the actual, you know, and it didn't. I don't think it broke 30 degrees today if I'm not mistaken. If it did, it barely got above it. Um, so it was cold. Everybody knew it was going to be cold, but the snow was not necessarily something they were predicting, uh, especially as much as they got. It looked like they got about two inches uh, at both stadiums. And if you saw the pictures just a, maybe a few hours before the game, I mean, th- these were, it looked like you're ready for the Bears to come out and, and, and have kickoff, you know, any minute now. I mean, it was that kind of a day in Chicago, and yet. Figure this out. The Cubs had to cancel their game against the Pirates, but the White Sox cleared the field, and as we know, they played. So what the hell went on there? Well, they got the sod father, the famous the groundskeeper there
3: at the, for the White That's Sox. Right. He's been around since, you know, before disco night there and everything. Um, you know, he's one of the, the most well-known and respected groundskeepers, and they started running the sprinklers when it started raining or snowing, so uh, to kind of help melt the snow and all
1: that and get the field ready, and they did. And also, they say, uh, if you know anything about Chicago, and and I've spent some time there. I'm sure you have, too. My wife is from there. Um, They blame Lake Michigan. According to ABC7 meteorologist Cheryl Scott, uh, said basically what happens is when the northeast wind blows off the lake, Wrigley is more affected with lake effect snow than you would get on the south side at guaranteed rate field. So the Cubs were looking at the same radar, and they figured that there would be more snow uh, off and on throughout the day, and because of the lakefront boundary, they just felt like you know they were, were going to continue to have problems uh, at Wrigley that they wouldn't have down south. So, well, the
3: Cubs had the, a couple of precautions built in, too. They were playing a division foe, the Pirates, who will be in town twice more this year. And secondly, right. they have a scheduled off day on Tuesday, so they could make that up then. Where the Rays are only going to Chicago once this year, right now, and there was no off day in between, so. You needed to play it now or the Rays were going to have to come back if you didn't make a doubleheader in the next two days. And the weather doesn't look great the next two days
1: either. No, it doesn't. And, in fact, if you saw any of that uh, game on television uh, with the White Sox and the Rays, it I guess they said they could almost count the number of fans, at least the Chicago writers, were attempting to do so. And I guess there was somewhere between five and 600 actually in the stadium. They announced 10,000. That was tickets, of course, sold or distributed or whatever. But... Um, can, and, and those poor souls that, I mean, really, I know you may have taken the day off, but really five or 600 miserable people sitting there in that frozen stadium. Um, no, thanks. I'm not into that, but anyway, the Rays managed to uh, break their bleak streak. That's over. Malik Smith goes four for four. All of those are two strike hits. Uh, he was, as Dave will said, I guess on the broadcast three quarters of the way, uh, to a, uh, to a cycle with a single, double, and triple. In fact, he even tried to steal home. He got thrown out. They reviewed that play, uh, and it, it was not overturned because it was it was bang, bang. Had they called him safe, I don't think they would have overturned it either. But they go on, and they beat the White Sox 5-4. Uh, Sergio Romo gets a big out with a man on third in the eighth inning, and yet there were the White Sox on their rally back. They get four runs off of Chris Archer. Um, they had second and third with no one out in the ninth inning. And Alex Colomay on the mound. And Alex Colomay manages to get three infield ground balls. Nobody scores. And here's what Kevin Cash had to say about the Rays finally winning for the first time since opening day.
0: Talked about before the game needing a win. It was good to find a way to get one. It certainly wasn't easy, but, uh, you know, when you're one and eight, you'll take them however you can get them. Really impressed with the poise that Alex showed right there at the end. Uh, second and third, no outs, up by one. Uh, to be able to prevent any of them scoring is is a pretty remarkable job.
1: Good job by Calame, who you know certainly uh, off to a rocky start, and I think the cold might have been a factor uh, for him, maybe in Boston, and and really all the players are kind of struggling with having to play in this sort of weather up north right now during this road trip. Um, but look, Calame's been there before, and even with runners on second and third. He managed to get the ground balls. Mark Tompkin of the Tampa Bay Times through an interpreter spoke with Alex Calame and asked him about his confidence.
4: Did your confidence go down at all after
2: the first two games? No, no, no. Siempre fue la misma, 100%. El primer juego, como dije, me afectó un poco el frío, pero el de ayer y el de hoy, yo estaba 100%. No, not at all. 100% confidence. He's like, like I said, yesterday, the first game, was a little bit on the cold on the weather, but yesterday and today it was 100% confidence.
1: Yeah, and that was the un poco frío because I thought it was more than un poco frío. Un poco frío means a little cold. I thought it was uh, mucho mejor frío. <laughs> I thought it was bastante frío. Yeah,
3: and he's from further south than you than you are here in St. Pete, <laughs> yeah, so
1: apparently, goodness gracious, it wasn't un poco anything. It was really cold. Um, but Alex Colome manages to get through it and to get the win. So we'll see. I mean, they'll continue on against the White Sox, and then they come home. Boy, it seems like this road trip has no end to it. I mean, they—they, they, I guess they don't get back until they host a series beginning Friday against the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, they'll be back Wednesday
3: so, night after they play in Chicago. Two more day games in Chicago Tuesday and Wednesday. Right, and, then and it's supposed
1: to warm up. It's, it's supposed, supposed to be 40 degrees Forty degrees tomorrow and maybe as high as 50. Break out the shorts. On Thursday. Right. I mean, that's kind of that's what it's going to feel like compared to what they've been through. So. You
3: laugh about that, but after living in Minneapolis for three winters, man, when it would start to get 40 and 50, you could wear shorts and be comfortable.
1: Oh, I, I can believe it. I absolutely can believe it. Just I a mean,
3: funny note I read in Topkin's column today about the game. And, mm-hmm. you know, people talk about attendance all the time here in Tampa. And, you know, so the weather obviously had a lot to do with it. But the Rays actually got a break because there was nobody in the stadium today. So man. Right. You were telling this story. Yeah. Tell us. So there's a runner on third. And Matt Duffy is the third baseman. And he hears – This the th- is the
1: last – this is the ninth
3: inning too, right? So, yeah, there's runner's on third. Well, he hears the third base coach tell runner Jose Abreu only to go if the ball gets through. So he takes note of this. The ball's hit to him. He can mm-hmm. take his time. He doesn't have to rush. He's not worrying about looking Abreu back. He can just field the ball and throw it to first. He makes a nice easy throw, gets the out, because he knows the runner's not going because he heard
1: the third base coach because there was nobody in the stands. And that's the advantage of not having a crowd. See – there are there are pluses to it. So for all of you that mock the race not drawing anybody, of course you don't want to be on the other side of that, you're going to have to whisper more. I always thought it was weird like when guys would go to the mound, although it makes sense to me now especially at the top, when they go to the mound and the pitchers always cover their face with their gloves. And that's more about reading lips, I suppose. Well, now that you got HD cameras and HD everything,
3: I guess, but like is there that's a what is really in the back? it's really about. Well, but so like a but even, I mean, even really. if it's not for that game, you watch it and you you know, OK, what's he telling his pitchers? What's he doing? You know, that's I mean, whether it's I coaches guess. in football with covering with their play sheet like this. And yeah, I just think know. that's overblown. I don't know. Hey, after Spygate with Bill Belichick and all that, I mean,
1: <laughs> I know, but come on. Somebody's got look, everybody's got a camera. Everybody in the stadium has a camera. It's called a cell phone. Now yeah. you can take pictures of the sideline as much as you want well, to. And that's why they cover their mouth every time they talk. You really think Belichick is filming anymore with his high tech? I just think he just gets. No, a do dude I think Belichick is? Do I think somebody the...
3: else is? Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, but like, I mean, literally, I mean, you you could sit there on the sideline and, and videotape a guy with anything these days. Nobody would. Mm-hmm. Know. I don't know.
3: Well, and that's that's why they're always covering their mouth, even if the main TV camera isn't. Who knows who, who's, who's filming you?
1: I suppose, but it paid off for the raise, and they, they get the win. Let's see if they can make it two in a row. Not out of this thing, man. They're what are they? 2 and 8 now?
3: Well, you know, 2011 they started 1 and 8. There you go. They'd started 0 and 6 and then went 1 and 8. Mm-hmm. And they made the playoffs that year,
1: so got a lot of baseball to play. It was good to see the bats come out a little bit. They had a lot of hits and scored some runs for a change and managed to to win the game. Okay, so I mentioned that uh, these next couple of weeks, of course, we are getting closer and closer to the NFL draft and the Bucks with the number 7 overall pick is going to get a lot of interest. And uh, I have uh, had the opportunity to talk to a lot of the players that the Bucks will be looking at, uh, as well as some local guys. And one of the local guys is Mason Cole. And full disclosure, he played with my son Wes at Eastlake High School in Palm Harbor, and that's not why we're doing him. We're doing him because uh, not only did he do that, but he also played at Michigan, which is Steve's favorite school. <laughs> so this is a double whammy for us. A four-year starter um, there. Yes, he was. I mean, he was a guy – that uh, was always precocious in, in, that, in that respect. He was, he was always playing up, whether it was youth league. He started on a Class 8A high school football team at left tackle as a freshman. Then he goes to Michigan, as you mentioned, and it was a, a true freshman that started. He started 51 games, in fact, there uh, in a row to tie a school record. And he played the first two seasons at Michigan. He played a tackle, and then he, then he moved to center as a junior, and then back to left tackle uh, last year as a senior, uh, to help the team, it wasn't so much of the job he did at center. I think they would have left him there, but it was better for the team. So that's what he did. And, of course, playing for Harbaugh, he's very NFL ready. He's uh, projected to go probably somewhere around the third or fourth round. And, yes, he will be a center or a guard in the National Football League. But I'm telling you, having covered this league, when you got the ability to be flexible like that, you're a guy that could play eight or ten years no problem because uh, they only dress – you know, usually seven offensive linemen, and to have somebody as versatile as Mason Cole is, and and he's a guy, too, that's uh, not going to be, you know, obviously the game's not going to be too big for him, because everywhere he's been, he's played up, and, and he manages to, you know, to compete, and uh, really, it's, it's just a matter of what team he will go to, but had a chance to talk to Mason Cole at the Combine in Indianapolis a few weeks ago, and, uh, you know, kind of catch up with him and feel him out for where he thinks he's going to go and where he think he'll play. So, um, I asked him, since you played left tackle, and we know you, you, you have played center and you're capable of playing guard. How much will that versatility actually help you in the NFL?
4: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's been big. It's been big in my, my college career. Um, played left tackle three years in the center for a year. Um, I think the biggest thing was, was playing outside for years or playing outside for three years and moving inside. Um, I don't. I personally don't think a lot of people can do that. Um, and, and to play for Coach Harbaugh and have him push me to, to, to go to center, um, and then coming back to tackle because of need, to, I think it was big for our team, and I think it's going to carry over to the next level. In
1: fact, Mason talked about how playing tackle and the athleticism that he had to use at that position actually helped him transition to center.
4: Looking back on it, um, at the time it was I was just playing football. Um, I just I don't know. I'd always been playing football. Um, uh, and it just another game, another game, another season for me. But looking back, uh, pretty incredible experience playing, playing as a true freshman, um, playing with the guys we, we played with, and uh, and then you know the, the season didn't go as we wanted. But just a lot of learning experiences through that season too.
1: Mason has had a chance to talk to a lot of the NFL teams, the Cardinals, the Falcons, many others. So I asked them, are most NFL teams looking at you as a center?
4: No, yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's where most teams are looking at me, either center or guard. Um, and that's, why I kind of, that's kind of why I switched to center my junior year. Um, one, because of needs, and, and two, because Coach Harbaugh and, and Coach Drebno thought it would be best for my career, too, and it turned out great. So.
1: Now, when you come up in youth league and you're a starter and then you're a starter as a freshman in high school and, of course, you set the record or tie the record at Michigan, you got to believe at some point you feel like you might be able to play in the NFL. So when did it feel like Sundays would be a job for you in the near future?
4: Growing up you always you always dream of playing in the NFL. Um, I mean I can remember since since the first time playing playing football. Um, that's the thing you wanna do in sure. the NFL one day. Sure. Um, but you know I, uh, going through through high school, being recruited, um, and then getting to college and um, playing decently, uh, that's your job
1: one day. Mason played his last game at Raymond James Stadium. That's only 20 minutes from his hometown in Palm Harbor. There were over 100 people, families, and friends, and former teammates that were there. So what was it like for Mason finishing his career in his hometown?
4: That, that, was, that was unbelievable for me to, to have all my family, uh, close friends, high school buddies, um, pretty cool experience playing 20 minutes from home. I um, Obviously, wish we would have won, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think you could ask for besides playing in the national championship um, a better, better last game.
1: Now I'm very familiar with the program uh, over at East Lake. It starts with the youth league. It's a great feeder program right into the high school, and Bob Hudson has done a great job for years over there and built that up really into uh, quite a powerhouse, uh, especially in Pinellas County. So. How much did playing for East Lake High and for Bob Hudson prepare him for the success he's had so far? The biggest thing that
4: playing playing for East Lake, playing for Coach Hudson in high school, they uh, they, they not only teach you to be a good football player, they teach you how to be a good man too. And I, I think that's big, especially in high school, um, when a lot, a lot of young kids are, are kind of becoming adults. Um, just teaching you to do the things the right way. I, I credit a lot of that to, to East Lake and Coach Hudson. Um, in terms of playing young, I. I don't know. It just it just kind of happened. Um, I don't. It was, I don't. Nothing about East Lake. It just it just happened. Yeah, just um, you. Yeah, Coach Coach just trusted, trusted me and threw me in there and it worked.
1: So so it'll be interesting to see where Mason Cole lands. Who knows? Might be right here in Tampa Bay. We'll have uh, more draft interviews or interviews with players that'll be in the draft. Some of them might be coming here as well. Uh, the draft is coming up on April 26th. So look forward to hearing from more. Prospects as we get closer to the draft. The Rays today have another afternoon game at Chicago against the White Sox. It'll be Blake Snell on the mound. And hopefully, he'll go deeper into the game this time than it is last outing. And no practice for the Tampa Bay Lightning today. They will have some meetings and, and, of course, continue their preparation for their Thursday night game against New Jersey. Tom Jones is going to join us tomorrow to talk about the Lightning. That's right, Tom Jones, former host of this podcast. And He'll discuss the Lightning's playoff chances. And then we're going to have Bobby the Chief Taylor, the studio analyst for the Lightning's TV broadcast. He'll be coming up on Thursday, so you want to make sure uh, that you stick around for that interview as well this week. Look, we appreciate you guys uh, making this podcast a habit. Many of you have reached out to us and told us how much you enjoy it. We thank you for listening Monday through Friday. You can always interact with us and reach us on Twitter at SportsDayTV, or you can reach myself at NFL Stroud or online at Stroud at tampabay.com and we want you to rate and review this podcast and Steve where can they do this anywhere you get
3: your podcast, whether you subscribe through iTunes or Google Play Stitcher TuneIn iHeartRadio SoundCloud uh, you can always rate and review us right there or you can go to tampabay.com slash sports the latest episodes are there and you could leave comments and rate review there too
1: more lightning talk tomorrow with Tom Jones I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times for Steve Versnick have a great day everybody